Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. So we're going to speed date for a moment. My name's Phil. It's good to meet you. Um, my wife, Kirsten, has joined me this morning. We have six kids. I know, right? It's done nothing to my figure. Uh, <laughs> We have, we have six kids. Our oldest is 21. Our youngest is nine. Our youngest had their birthday yesterday and got a motorbike. And that was fantastic until we were driving to take him riding on his little Wee 50 and he had a ball with it. And as we're driving there, I said, mate, it's just like riding a bicycle. He said, Dad, you never taught me to ride a bicycle. <laughs> and I, I don't know what it is, but by the sixth kid, I'd forgotten to teach him how to ride a bicycle. <laughs> you know, those things happen. And don't profess you're all perfect either. I, I know, right? And so uh, we have 21 down to 9, and we have five boys and one girl, and no, the girl is not the youngest. It's boy, girl, boy, 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 who cares, right? So uh, the, the, the point is this. We, um, we, we, God ordained for us to have a big family. Uh, we know what caused it, uh, but God ordained it. All right? Um, I've been leading the church for 10 years. I'm actually on long service leave at the moment. Can you believe it? That's why I'm here this morning. I'm, I'm on long service leave. And I'm off until the middle of January, which is why I'm in such a good mood. <laughs> like Kirsten said to me, I was preaching for someone last week, and she said to me, I haven't heard you that funny in a long time. This is because I'm relaxed. I'm going to speak to you from the book of Psalms. Two things are going to happen this morning. And uh, if you are new to church, and I just trust someone here is new to church this morning. If not, that's a great opportunity for us to pick up an invitation culture. So if there's no one that's new to church, over to you, church. But here's the thing. If you're new, I'm going to share with you for the next 30 minutes or so, 30, 35-ish. And, and when I say ish, it's because, like the Apostle Paul said at the end of Philippians, finally, my brethren. And then he went on to continue to preach. <laughs> It's like when preachers get up. You know how they do it. They get up at the end and they go, can I have the music team back up? And everyone sits up a little bit and goes, this thing's coming to a close. We ain't closing nothing when we get the team. We're just getting started when the team comes back up. All right? So I'm going to share with you for the next 30 minutes or so. And at the end, I'm going to give you an opportunity in two areas to respond. And that gives you now 30 minutes to decide whether you're going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit or not. The first opportunity is if you've never said yes to the life of Jesus Christ, this is your morning. Because by the end of this morning, you can never again say someone didn't introduce me to Jesus. This is your morning to say yes to the life of Jesus Christ. And if you're new to church, all that simply means is at the end, I'm going to ask you whether you want to say yes to everything that Jesus Christ has already done for you. The other area is there are people here and you're believing for something to happen and shift in your world. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond as well. So if you don't know about Jesus, today's your day. And if you do know about Jesus, today's your day. You've got 30 minutes. You've got the next 30 minutes to work out whether you're going to respond or not. Now, now it's over to you. Are we good? Yeah. So now you know what's going to happen. I'm going to speak to you from the book of Psalms. So if you've got your Bibles, your iPhones, your Androids, your whatever else, and by the way, I know if you are on Facebook... I know if you are on Snapchat, you have to realise something. We as preachers can see everything. Because if you hold that up and it's blue, I know you're on Facebook. If it's yellow, I know you're on Snapchat. If, it's, if, if you're on Twitter, well, you need to grow up a little bit. But anyway, we're going to go to Psalm, the book of Psalms, chapter 37, verses 23 to 25. Again, if you're new to church, Psalms is found in this thing called the Old Testament. The Old Testament goes from the book of Genesis, which is creation, 
up until Malachi, which is just before the birth of Jesus. So the Bible is largely broken up into two parts. Now, all the Christians look at me and say, why are you explaining this? Because I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to someone else who doesn't know this stuff. Just bring everyone on the same page. And so we're going to go to the book of Psalms. Psalms is about emotion. It's about feelings. Feelings. It's about that sense inside. If you want to look at historic facts, you go to the books of like Samuel and Kings and Judges and so on. But if you want to know how people are feeling, how many of you realize that God has built you with emotions? He's built you to feel. He's built you with the capacity. Now, we don't be led by our emotions, but we shouldn't ignore them either. And so, packed in Psalms is the emotions of, of, of a guy, number of them, but a guy particularly by the name of David. And David is full of emotion because the things that he went through in life were quite profound. And he says this, if you want to read on the screen, it says, the steps of a good man, a good woman, a good young person, a good grandparent, the steps of a good brother, a good sister, the steps of a good single mum, a good single dad, the steps of a good businessman, the steps of, steps of a good businesswoman, the steps of a good tradesman, the steps of a good servant in the house of God, the steps of a good child, the steps of everybody are ordered by the Lord. He delights, oh, I love that word. I mean, I want these words to actually say something to you this morning rather than just pass through them. He delights. This is God we're talking about. He delights in his way. Though he, small h, though he falls, though he gets it wrong, though he stuffs it up, though he sins, though he makes a mistake. Anybody here ever made made a mistake? Let me see your hand. If you've ever made a mistake somewhere in life, okay, it's talking to you this morning. Those of you that didn't raise your hands, you'll be preaching next week because you're clearly perfect. The point is this, he delights. Though he falls, watch this, he will never be cast down by God. Though you sin, you get it wrong, you fail, you make a mistake, you are never cast down by God. That right now should do something in you. You are never pushed away by God. You are never cast aside by God. You are never put in the no-go zone by God. No matter how much you get it wrong, His grace is more than enough. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. He goes on and he says this, I have been young. This is what David goes on. He says, I have been young and am now old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed, his children, his next generation begging for bread. David writes this, not as the young man who fought Goliath. David writes this as a 70-year-old, who just before his death begins to give us what I would call a consummate life stage message. How many of you know that if you say that God is good, it's true? Amen? And you can say, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. But if a 15-year-old said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his offspring, his kids begging, how many of you realize it's got a little bit more weight if a 70-year-old says it? You with me? So in other words, there's a certain credibility that is attached and a weight that is attached to a 70-year-old saying, I have had highs and lows. I've had great stuff and terrible stuff. I have stuffed up royally and I've done great things. Like David did some significant things in his life. We think about Goliath, we think about the victories of armies, but David also had days where he was stuck in a cave 
asking a very profound question, is there anyone who cares for my soul? David had days where he was on the top of his roof and saw a woman in the bath and decided he would take on her. Right? So David got it wrong. But here's what he says. I know that with my 70 years of experience, my highs, my lows, my failures, my successes, I know that I have never seen the righteous forsaken by God. And it's my testimony, David says. My testimony is I have never been forsaken by God, no matter how much I got it wrong. No matter how much I made mistakes. You see, David says this at the end of a very fruitful life. David says this at the end of a very full life. David says this right before he dies at the end of a very packed life. And it's a life stage message because here's the thing. How many of you realize you are not the same person you were 10 years ago? You're not the same person you were five years ago. I am not the same person I was, I, I was when I married my wife. I like to think I'm a better version of that same person. <laughs> the back row didn't hear you, sweetheart. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> There'll be prayer for me after the service. The point is this. Your body reinvents itself. How many of you get that? I have not always been grey. Your body reinvents itself. Like every three years, without your permission, your body will reinvent itself at a cellular level. And we are constantly changing, constantly reinventing. This is not new. There's something that happens in our life. And it, in, it's in these moments that we stop and we say, this is some experiences that we have had about God along the journey. And I want to connect the second part of what I read from David to the first part of what I read, because here's the title of my message, Take a Step. It's the title of my message. You need to take a step. A subtext might be how to live a God-guided life. Because if anything put Christians and believers and non-believers under this incredible tension, it's how do I hear from God and how do I live a God-guided life? Who's ever asked that question? God, tell me what to do next. I need to know what you want me to do next. And our challenge is that we put, there's some teaching in the church that puts people on this real tightrope. And it's a real tight rope where people are going, oh, I don't know, is God okay with me? Is he happy with this next step? Is God going to be all right with this thing that I'm about to do? Is God, you know, what's God say about this? And there are some super spiritual people who go, well, I've just got to seek the mind of God. And I'm not against that. But I think it's become such a cliche in the church that we've actually lost the power of what sits underneath it. It's also become a really good excuse for people to not do what they're supposed to do. Well, I'm just waiting to hear from God. Please? God's not going to speak to you about stuff He's already told you. And if the Word of God has already said it, I don't know why you keep asking. I just don't understand sometimes. See, this is the beauty of preaching in another church. Your pastor gets to clean it up next week. I just don't, I, like, like, I seriously, I don't get it. Like, people are going, God, what do you want me to do about tithing? I want you to speak to me about it. I said, I did. God, what do you want me to do about sharing the gospel and preach? Should I, should I witness to my neighbor? I want to hear from the voice of God. I told you, go into all the world. Like, like we, 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 are we, is there confusion somewhere? You're asking God for stuff he's already told us to do. Anyway, I'll come back to my message. And so the thing is, we're so worried about failing God. 
disappointing God. So we get so anxious about whether God's going to be happy with us. And I think David gets to the end of his life and says, I want to teach you something about how to hear from God. I want to show you something about how to listen to the voice of God. I want to, I want to get something through to you and, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to tell you a story about dating my wife. My wife and I, we don't fight. Now, people don't believe me when I say that. We actually don't fight. I am so blessed to have a wife who doesn't pick fights with me. Proverbs 31, a nagging wife is like a dripping tap on a rainy day. I didn't say it, God did. But the point is this. (laughs) I didn't say it, I didn't say it. Look at me, I'm the messenger, right? But we don't fight except for once. April the 1st, 1995, we had a massive argument. Massive. Now, we weren't married at the time. We weren't even engaged. We'd been dating for a number of months. And I was, like, seethingly angry. And I was at her parents' place, so I, that's it, I'm out of here. You don't land on your head. What do you think you're talking to? And, like, I'm angry. Apparently, I become incoherent when I'm angry, according to that. But <laughs> and she's angry. Get out of my house, who you think you are. Now, I had decided prior to this, I was going to marry this woman. And all of a sudden, I'm going, I ain't so sure. Who's ever been in that moment before? I'm not so sure about this. So I get in my HQ Kingswood with spoilers and mags, and I sit there, and I'm there, and I'm going, God! You better talk to me because I'm so angry that if you really think that I'm going to marry this woman, you've got rocks in your head. You better tell me and you better speak to me right... Who on earth did I think I was talking to God like that? Anyway, you better talk to me, God, because I want to know. I want to know. What do you want me to do in marrying this woman? You better tell me. Who's ever been that tense with God before? You're going, please tell me what you want me to... Because if this ain't going to happen... I'm out of here. So I get in my car. And there's this teaching that I had learned as a young person called putting out a fleece. Who's ever heard of that saying before? If you're under 40, a fleece is a piece of wool. And it's a reference to a story in Judges chapters 6 and 7 by a guy by the name of Gideon. And Gideon is told by God to do something extraordinarily profound, which is God gave him an army of 30,000 people and he started whittling down this army of 30,000 until he had 300 left. He said, now go and take on the enemy. And Gideon's going, are you nuts? Like, seriously? I had 30,000, 29,700 of them went home. How many of you would be a bit, hold on a minute. And God said, no, 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 I did this because I, I want everybody, including you, to know that your victory didn't come about because of you. Your victory came about because I'm in it. If you thought your victory came about because of the 30,000, you've got a problem. Your victory's going to come about because I'm in it. But Gideon didn't buy that. And so I have learned this thing that says, so what Gideon did is he got a piece of wool. And in those days, what you would do is you would put the wool outside and if it was wet on the wool, you would wring the wool out and that would be your drinking water in the desert for the day. So you'd collect the dew with the wool. Okay, you're with me. So he says to God, here's what I'm going to do, God. I just want to make sure that you're right. I I just want to make sure that this is you. I need you to speak to me. 
puts out the wool and he says, if the wool is wet and the ground is dry, I'll know you spoke. Okay? I think God's sitting in heaven going, man, I already spoke, but all right, I'm going to be gracious to you, I'm going to be nice to you, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to pay out on your stupidity, I'm all right. <laughs> right? Because let's face it, what Gideon did was a lack of faith. Yeah. We've turned it into a theology for how to hear from God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. We're still friends, right? So here's the thing. He puts out this piece of, it's wet in the morning, it's dry on the ground. Yes, you little beauty. He goes, but hold on, I better make sure twice. Because that could have been an accident, you know. God's already spoken to me. He's proved it to me, but it could be an accident. So what I'm going to, I'm going to do it again. Now I'm going to really annoy God, but I'll do it again. But God's gracious. God's okay that we sometimes do things that are a little bit, huh? So he goes and he says, this time I'm going to put the fleece out and if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, then I'll know it's God. Right? So he gets up the next day, fleece is dry, ground is wet. Thank you, God, now I know you're in it. It wasn't enough that God had spoken. It wasn't enough the first time. So we learn this theology called put out a fleece, which is a metaphor for do something to test or check with God. So I get in my car, my HQ, and I turn the ignition on. Now, prior to this... While we were dating, we had our song. The women love this part of the story. The men go, you mongrel, you set me up. We had our song, and it's a song called Beautiful In My Eyes by Joshua Caddison. Right? And they, you, I actually gave my wife a tape. Young people, the tape has two little holes in it, and the, and the reel runs this way. You put it in your car that way, you press play, and it... Right, right okay. We, we didn't have Spotify and, you know, Tidal and whatever, whatever. We had old school tapes. So I put the tape in the car. No, I gave it to her. And that was our song, Beautiful In My Eyes. So I turned my car on. The tape isn't there. I've given it to her. And I'm rah rahing at God. And I said, you better speak. Between now and the time I get home, God, you've got one shot. 20 minutes I live away. You've got 20 minutes to talk to me. Otherwise, I'm out. I get in the car without a word of a lie. No announcements, no nothing. I turn the car on and this song instantly starts to play. Thank you, guys. Straight away. No announcements. No radio DJs. Just me and God. This was our song. It was a heart moment. Worship with me for a moment. <laughs> and my only prayer is that you realize, sweetheart, you'll always be beautiful in my... Well, I'm up and about now. God spoke to me. I'm like, this is brilliant. Without a word of a lie, I turn my car on and this song comes on and it's our song. And now I'm going, oh, I'm not angry anymore. I'm excited. I'm going to marry this woman. Oh, my goodness me. This is like gold from heaven. This is brilliant. I asked God to speak and he spoke through that. But here's the challenge. I knew that you have to put out the fleece twice to prove that it wasn't an accident the first time. So I'm driving home and this is, I'm a preacher. I don't lie, all right? This is how it went. All I did was I changed the radio station 
And without a word of a lie, have a guess what song comes up next. What do I do with that? Without a word of a lie, Highway to Hell starts playing. I'm supposed to put the fleece out twice. So God, are you telling me she's beautiful or she's a highway to hell? Which is it? Because I'm confused. <laughs> Fill me in. True story, that happened. Anyway, I'm driving home. I'm going, oh, now I'm thoroughly confused because now I'm on this tightrope. <clears throat> God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? And the Holy Spirit said to me, take a step. That's it. Take a step. Do what you think's right. Do what's in your heart. Don't worry about this need for me to confirm it five times, ten times, twenty times, thirty times, however many times. Just take a step. Because you'll notice something about what David says here. He says the steps, not the intention to take steps, not thinking about taking steps, not planning for steps, the steps of a good man or woman. It's about the condition of the heart, not about the step that you take. And my heart was right towards my now wife and 22 and a half years later, six kids, etc., etc. We're doing better than ever before. But it came out of this understanding that what David is saying, he's saying there are too many people in life who are locked up in the paralysis of analysis. They are locked up in the paralysis of trying to work out what God is saying. And I'm going to say something that could be a little bit radical here for you today. It could be, I think if you are stuck at a choice between A or B, God is not half as concerned about the A or the B as he is about the good state of your heart. And I think we've got to get uncoupled and unlocked from this pressure of a tightrope of ever being bothered about whether we somehow disappoint God through our decisions. Why? Because if you go A and you should have chosen B, if you did it with a good heart, There is nowhere that B can take you that God cannot recover you from. There is nowhere that your wrong decision can take you that God cannot restore you from. Otherwise, why is he the restorer and the redeemer? See, we've got to uncouple from this paralysis that so many Christians are in. God, I'm waiting for you to talk. And in the meantime, we don't take a step. Here's my charge to you this morning. Here's my encouragement to you this morning. Take a step. Take a step. Take a step. And you might not know every step that you've got to take, but you will know the next one. If it's done with a good heart, take a step. Because if there is an A or B, God is not interested in you being paralyzed in indecision. That's not how God works. God is not interested in you being so concerned about disappointing Him or letting Him down that you can never take a step in life. This morning, take a step. Some of you have been locked up for so long in indecision and God is simply saying to you this morning, if your heart is right before me, I am simply saying to you, it is not your plan to take a step. It's not your intention to take a step. It's not your meditation about taking a step. It's about the step. Take a step, church. Take a step. You know, when children learn to eat, many of you will be parents here, when children learn to eat, you know what happens? They take that first step of, putting the spoon in, and then they get it everywhere. Like, they make a mess. Kids are feral. 
when they're little. And they put food everywhere. They make a real mess of things. But do you know what? As a parent, you know what? You're sitting there looking at them going, I'm glad you're now starting to do this yourself. I'm glad you're actually starting to feed yourself. Because the point at which you can learn to feed yourself, no longer do I need to do it for you. That's why church people should grow up. Because the more you grow up, the less your leaders have to do for you. And so what happens is the child begins, do they make a mess? Now, how many parents are yelling and screaming about the mess? It goes with the territory, right? It goes with the territory of raising kids when they go to the toilet for the first time. Right? And they can come clean themselves up for the first time. How many of you know they make a mess? And you've got to check occasionally. But you're not sitting there going, no, 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 I'm going to wait till you're 18. I'll do it for you till you're 18, thanks. Because, you know, I want this perfect first time out of the gate. And I don't want any mess. And I don't want this. Listen, it might not be big in everybody else's world, but as a mum or a dad of a little kid, when they can feed themselves and go to the bathroom themselves, there's great rejoicing in your house. <laughs> like nobody's writing an article about it, nobody's publishing about it, nobody's going on the news about it, but you know. You know there's, there's, there's just merriment that breaks out. There's rejoicing that your kid has taken a step and they might not get it all right, but they're moving towards something. Here's the thing. I think God is attracted to motion, not to immobility. God is attracted to people who are on the move. God is attracted to churches who are on the move and not stuck in the quagmire of what do we do next, God? And God says, do what you know to do and I'll join you in the journey. God is attracted to movement and motion, not to the paralysis of analysis church this morning. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Take a step. There are two schools of thought. One school says, I don't move until God speaks. But I come from the second school of thought that says, God's not going to speak until I start to move. I don't move until God speaks. No. I think God wants to encourage you, I'll speak when you start moving. Because it's not the decision itself, it's the state of the heart that makes that decision. The steps of a good man, a good woman, someone who knows that they are right with God because of what Christ has done. And David says at the end of his life, he said, I made some bad decisions, but God recovered and restored and redeemed me from every bad decision I have ever made made and i'm not saying there are no consequences bad decisions but all things romans says work together for good to those all things not just the good things all things work together for good to those that love god it's a heart issue it's a heart position you see the heart of your church the heart of your family the heart of your marriage you've got to make some decisions and i think god just simply wants to say to you First of all, as an individual, second of all, as families, and third of all, as a church, keep taking steps. And watch what God does in those steps. And sometimes those steps will be wrong. They're just expensive ways to learn. (laughs) They're just ways to learn. You see, Abraham and Lot. Many of you will know the story. Again, if you're not familiar with it, Abraham was in the Old Testament right up the beginning. And Abraham and Lot. Abraham, God says to him, I want you to get up and I want you to go. I will be with you in the journey. You won't know every step. But I'm going to walk with you, Abraham. I'm going to be with you in this journey. I'm going to take a step with you. But you just take the first step with me. All I want you to do is leave your country. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know the details. Well, God, I need to know the five-point plan, the 20-point strategy, the 30-point this. And there's times for strategies and plans. But there's times for pure obedience. 
See, if you know every step and you know everything that's going to happen in life, then what happened to obedience? Obey first, understand second. That's for someone here. Obedience precedes understanding. Sometimes we won't obey until we understand, but sometimes we just got to do what God tells us to do and he'll unveil it to us as we go. So Abraham's on this journey, but what God said to him is, I want you and your missus to go, but don't take anyone else. But Lot turns up with him. Nephew. (laughs) Thanks a lot. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) So Lot turns up with him. What happens? It becomes a mess relationally between them. So Abraham goes to Lot and says, listen, I made a wrong decision here. You shouldn't have come. So here's what's going to happen. You choose whether you want to go left or right. You choose which way you want to go. Now, Lot, being the selfish git that he was, stood on top of the mountain and looked out at the best fields and said, I'm going to take the best. Abraham goes, I don't know what it meant to me. So Abraham was not in control at that juncture of what was going to happen because he gave it to Lot. But how do you know that in that moment, although he didn't know what happened, he knew that God was with him because he had testified that God was with him. And here's what he says. He says, Lot, it doesn't matter if you take the good land because whether I go left or I go right, I'm blessed. Because I'm not blessed by that place. I'm blessed by the one who is doing the journey with me. I'm not blessed by that venue. I'm blessed by the one who is in it with me. My blessing does not come from the place I find myself. My blessing comes from the one who is orchestrating my steps. And if I go left, it doesn't matter. If I go right, it doesn't matter because I'm blessed because of God. Church, hear me this morning. If you're going left instead of right or right instead of left, if God is with you and your heart is right before him, you're blessed. You're blessed. Your venue does not make you blessed. Your location does not make you blessed. The blessing is found in that you're walking with God. Come on, someone say amen this morning. Your blessing is found in that you are walking with God. The steps of someone whose heart condition is right before God. The steps of someone who's in good sync with God are ordered by him. Take a step and watch him order the rest. And watch this. And he delights in your movement. He delights in your motion. He delights in your momentum. One of the greatest killers of momentum for churches and for families and for businesses is when we get into paralysis by analysis. And it kills momentum because we feel like we've got to stop in order. What's God saying for us next? Why don't we keep moving and see what God wants to say next. Some of you, you're facing decisions right now, and I really believe God wants to say to you, take the best step you know to take, and I'll be with you in it. Some of you, you're facing decisions, whether it be job, relationships, you're facing decisions in your life, and I think you need to take a step. And trust that God is in the journey with you. As the team come back up this morning, and that means I'm wrapping up, (laughs) but as the team come back up this morning, and I'm going to share tonight about faith, the faith component of this, this is a two-parter. So you've got to come back out tonight. <laughs> but here's the thing. There are too many, I believe, who have been locked up. They've been jammed up to an unhealthy point because they're waiting for some divine moment of God to speak and God is saying, Move. If your heart is right before God, he's simply saying, move, move, move. You cannot, one of my favourite leadership things I say to my team over and over again, you cannot steer a parked car. 
You can't move. You ever seen a kid sit in the front and the wheel goes like that? The kids will be pulling it and they can't move it. If that car was moving, that kid could make that car go anywhere. It's in the motion and the movement and the momentum of it. The God says, hey, get some movement about you and I'm attracted to that motion. I'm attracted to that movement. I'm in it with you. I'm not leaving you. And though you will make a wrong decision and get your head around it, church, you will make a wrong decision somewhere. And though you fall, you're never cast down by God. (coughs) Though you fall, you're never pushed away by God. Though you fall, God is not piling on you. He's not beating up on you. He's not putting you down. He's going, no, in fact, the opposite. Not only is God not doing that, let me show you what God is doing. He says he picks you up with his right hand and he lifts you from your problem and he places you back where you belong. He restores and he redeems and he lifts and he replaces the things. It's God's job to restore, not yours. Our job is to do what we know to do. Do the best you know to do. And it's okay. Do the best you know to do. And move on. Do the best with the right heart. See, it's the state of the heart. Do that. And if you get it wrong, I want you to hear something from the heart of God. It's not that there's no consequences, but I want you to know it's okay. God is your redeemer, your restorer your healer. God is all in all. And though you fall, I really get this imagery of God going, hey, it's okay, child. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to lift you with my right hand. And that failure will no longer dominate your life. That wrong decision no longer has charge over you. That, that, that situation that you face is no longer going to paralyze you because I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to move with you. Why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit came to do. You know, the word Holy Spirit is the word paraclete in the New Testament. Now you can use that word and sound intelligent to your friends, but it's the word paraclete. Para, alongside, cleat, the one who walks. Here's the thing. The role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you, then I'm going to send the Spirit. And the role of the Holy Spirit, I liken it this way. He puts his arm around you. He says, let's walk this together. Let's just keep walking together. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He goes, let's go for a walk. Let's make some decisions together. I'll talk with you. You talk with me. We'll have a talk. We'll chat along the way. But it's in the divine moments of motion and movement. The Holy Spirit goes, hey, come on. I got you. Keep cheering. The Holy Spirit's cheering you on. He's guiding you. He's leading you. He's going, no, don't step that way. Step that way. Move here. But the point is simply this. That's what the Holy Spirit is here to do. We think the Holy Spirit is the shabbat-abadoo out of heaven. And I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is that we miss the Monday moments of God, that we miss the Tuesday leadership of the Spirit, that we miss the walk with Him on Wednesday, that we miss that God is saying, if you have a business idea, maybe you need to step out in that business idea and take a step. But know that the Holy Spirit's with you in your business. Know that He's with you in your relationship relationships because that's all the comfort you need and if you get it wrong he'll restore and he'll repay and he will restore what the the years that the moth and the rust has destroyed he will bring it back that's the work of God because that's how gracious your God is that's how good your God is hey thanks for listening to the activate church weekly podcast we hope you're encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services so to connect further with us head over to activatechurch.com